Ladies and gentlemen, we have made it to March. We're getting there, we're getting through it. It is better to look ahead and prepare than to look back and regret. It's from Jackie Joyner Kersey. Happy Women's History Month. And it was Public Enemies Chuck D. Bring the noise. On the Fifth Home Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. So I got myself this uh, this uh, side bag, right? You know, you know, them crossbody bags, right? I, I've 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 unlocked it. I've unlocked it because I've always been this person, right? And this is this is peak. This is peak uh, perk of being a dude, right? Because I carry, I try to carry as little as possible when I'm out, right? I, I try and carry as little as possible. Like, if most of the time, you're, I'm getting my keys, wallet, phone. That's 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 usually it, right? Everything else is dead weight to me. <laughs> Everything else, I'm just like, uh-huh, I don't want to carry it, but I need to carry it for this particular thing I'm doing, right? So, it, it's, it's, I don't carry anything else unless, like, it's a necessity, right? The, but... My three needs, uh, my three basic, you know, just gonna gonna carry that most of the time when I'm out. Not even my wallet, because obviously when I walk with a dog, I don't need my wallet. So even in that case, I technically don't even need my wallet. But obviously when I'm out and out, ah, ah, out and about, like it's obviously the wallet's coming through. Um, but yeah, keys, phone, usually that's usually it. That's usually it actually. That's usually the fundamentals. Most of the, from day to day, it's usually just keys and wallet. But there comes a time where you know you need to carry something else. Uh, you go into a homie's house or whatever, you need to carry some stuff, uh, go in to do some work, right, in the city or whatever, right, and I was just like, I was just, I was just, I was just thinking to myself, right, I was just like, I, was just like, I, I need something, I need just like, not, not big, but not small either, right, I need, I need something, I need that middle ground, I need to find a middle ground for the stuff I, stuff I, you know, sometimes carry, because, like, you know, sometimes I'm, sometimes, you know, you may have your phone charger, right, or you may have, uh, uh, I don't know, you, you, you're going, you're going to a homie's house, and you get a couple of drinks on the way, right, and then you're carrying that in the plastic bag or whatever, right, and it's just like, it's not, it's not, yeah, yeah, it could, it could be better, right, it could be more efficient, right, so, boom, I was thinking about it, I was just like, crossbody bag, because I've seen so many people over the years like have a crossbody bag, right? And usually it's just one of those like small square things that like you you know you, you know you have you see those and you see the mandem like walking around with the, that kind of stuff and yeah that's cool, right? But I've, I've shout to Bellrick because um, I found I found a good a good crossbody bag from them, real high quality shit. Um, what does it say on their thing actually? Uh, see if I can get this right quick. Uh, you know, it's all, it's all made from recycled plastic bottles. You know, what I mean, it's very environmentally friendly. Uh, apparently, it's like a four-liter bag for for if, if people know what that even how big that even is. But yeah, it's a real it's a real good stuff. It's, it's some some real good uh, things in here. Like they have a they have a, a compartment, a soft line compartment for sunglasses, and you know I'm wearing sunglasses right now. <laughs> I'm wearing glasses right now, bro. I'm, I'm wearing them right now. So, yeah, that's that's a thing right there. That's a thing. Uh, you know what I mean? And uh, expands, it expands if the if the you know if you get get more of a load if you're putting more stuff in there. So yeah, I feel like you know I've always needed that middle ground, and 
you know, I just had a eureka moment, and that and that's been my week. <laughs> that's been my entire week, ladies and gentlemen. Just just thinking about, hmm, I need a middle ground. But anyway, obviously, it's not always. It's just been in my mind. But yeah, happy Women's History Month to one and all. Um, I usually do a, a, a women's uh, international Women's Day uh, like special, um, but I've been so just. Like, I've just been so preoccupied with the other stuff. Like, I, I, it came to March, and I was like, fuck, I ain't got nothing for it. So, um, you know, it's, I'm recording on the 3rd of March. Um, it's interesting, I actually got a quote from Jackie Joyner Kersey, because it's actually her birthday as I record, so happy birthday to Miss uh, Joyner Kersey. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, I think the way I'm going to do it, I guess, to just pay homage, because I'll see you on Digging Digits, if you go listen to that, uh, we're doing a Women's History Month celebration, we uh, uh, do five, we're going to do five um, uh, female artists in hip-hop space, uh, we just did The Brat, and we're going to do Mary J. Blige uh, this week, uh, well, this coming week, uh, this coming episode, so that's coming, that's going to be absolute heater, because Mary J's a goat, honestly, like, just objectively, I think, like, her catalogue is just absurd, um, and that's just recently, I've just learned that, like, I've, I've, I, I knew the classics, right, but, uh, but going deeper in, oh, she's got some heels, man, she's got some heels, absolute heels, and it covers so many, uh, anyway, I'm ruining it for DITD, so if you want to go and like listen, my thoughts on Mary J Blige, go listen to DITD, um, but yeah, uh, you know, we've got that going on, and I guess for this show, I'm just gonna like, uh, you know, pop on a quote uh, for the start of every episode, and that'll be my homage uh, to Women's History Month. And uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just consider, I'll just consider that a job well done. <laughs> I say that very uh, glibly. Obviously, that's not the job well, well done for most things. Uh, but anyway, it's worth it's worth shouting out, of course. And I always try and shout out the women on that front. But anyway, been five minutes. Uh, let's get into the show. We have uh, two life. Uh, one music and one film and TV. Um, I actually had like a, I had a sports one as well, and I was just like, ah, I needed to decide, I needed to decide. And I, was, I was like, nah, fuck it, right? I'll pick the, I'll pick the music one over the sports one. But anyway, before, so before we begin, email to IOG, Discord link, all the links to the articles as I'm about, to, uh, I'm going to read this episode will be in the full show notes. So please give them a read in your own leisure. And with that said, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where England and Wales rail fares have risen by 2.6%, that's, that's great. That's, that's that's so great. You know what? I'm I'm happy about that because I know that it will go to uh, you know improving everything to do uh, with the national rail uh, or just yeah where, wherever the uh, particular private company uh, in your area uh, are, are, are doing to said trains uh, but funny enough ladies and gentlemen in my local train uh, 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 jurisdiction so to speak <laughs> there were delays a couple of days ago literally as soon as, as soon as I saw this and then a couple of days later uh, uh they had, there's like, some delays from Shrewsbury to London or whatever and I was just like well that's the whole that's the whole line so yeah it, it's just it just made me laugh it, it just made me laugh they ru- they you know bit of a pay, bit of a bit of a fair rise 2.6% great great and then there was delays a couple of days later i just you can't write it you can't write it uh former french president nicolas sarkozy uh is jailed for 3 years uh, for corruption 
Uh, found a member of the Whalers, Bunny Whaler dies, age eight, uh, 73. I will obviously get to that in our music topic. Uh, BBC Three will return as a broadcast channel next year. I don't know why I'm so gassed about this. I, I, I am gassed about it. I don't know why I am. Because I think BBC Three back in the day, right, was so fucking great. Like, it was, it was so great. Especially at my age. Because I was like a young teenager at that point. I was, it, was, it was just like, you know, just... The, and it was very... It was a very after-dark channel. Because um, it didn't... I, th- I don't think the channel actually started until like 6pm. Um, so, you know, there was... It was no like... Uh, yeah, it was, it was always the you know, heavy shit, like, the, the, you know, the real edgy stuff, not heavy, but edgy, um, you know, and it, was, it just had good stuff on that, it just had good stuff on there, and when it went online, I didn't really, you know, migrate to it, I just couldn't be asked, because I'm not really a, an online uh, watcher of content, unless it's on YouTube, probably, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't my steeds, I'm, I'm a broadcast TV dude still, I, if, if it goes on TV, I feel like that's more of an achievement than going on streaming, that's just me, this is how I feel, uh, but yeah, I'm glad it's coming back, it's coming back next year, and uh, lastly, six Dr. Seuss books will no longer be published because of, quote, hurtful and wrong imagery, this made me laugh because, uh, uh you know, US, um, right-wingers uh, just spent, like, the whole, like, day of this news dropping, <clears throat> uh, just going off about, uh, fucking hell, man, this is, this is cancel culture, I can't believe it, they're coming for Dr. Seuss now, oh my gosh, is there nothing sacred, no, 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 I'm just like, yeah, but, but it was, it was Dr. Seuss's estate that made the decision, like, it wasn't, it wasn't government mandated, it was the, it was the people who, have the rights to Dr. Seuss books to, it was their decision to do it, so it's not exactly ca- cancel culture in the way you're talking about it, but, uh, you know, go off. Alright, let's start with uh, Twitter. This is the first, li- first of two live topics, we're going with Twitter, because, don't know if you heard, ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, you should know if you're on Twitter, <laughs> but, uh, but they have uh, switched up their game a bit. Um, they are starting to... They're going to introduce a few new... Um, few new... Uh, 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 okay, uh, formats, I guess. Or just um, platforms on the Twitter platform. Platforms on the platform, so to speak. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's some good stuff coming. Uh, I, I feel, personally... I, I know there's a few people that aren't exactly fans of some of these. Um, I, I Twitter Spaces, which is... Um, Basically, their version of Clubhouse is coming, and uh, to be honest, as a person that, that hasn't used Clubhouse but is kind of interested in that kind of space, um, I, I'm I'm kind of interested in that. I'm looking forward to that kind of thing. Um, but that's not what we're here for. This one is a li- is the more objectively worse one. Um, this is uh, well. <laughs> we'll get to it. The name of the article is uh, "Make It Rain with Twitcoins." Is there anyone you'd pay? to read their super tweets. This is by uh, Ton- uh, I'm assuming it's Tonya, uh, Renee Stidham. Uh, this is via The Root. Let's just jump right in, because this is great. If you're an active member of the Black Tour community, uh, chances are you've heard some variation on the phrase, how is Twitter free? After something super dramatic and entertaining happens, rivaling the best television show during sweeps. Uh, well, bitch, <laughs> we're about to find out how free it's not. Along with introducing community, a community feature, similar to Facebook groups, Twitter announced a paid content subscription feature on Thursday uh, during their virtual analyst day. I don't know why I'm tripping up over that word. <coughs> Verge broke it down. Quote, 
the payment feature called Super Follows. The, the, be, the best thing about these uh, Twitter, new Twitter, um, new Twitter things like fleets. Fuck fleets. Fleets fucking sucks. I don't. I don't want IG stories or Snap. Well, originally it was Snapchat. Obviously, I don't need Snapchat stories on Twitter. I I could not give a shit. Like get that whole banner off my fucking off my phone. It's wasted space. <clears throat> wasted space to me. But anyway. Back to the Verge quote. The payment feature called Super Follows will allow Twitter users to charge fo- uh, charge followers and give them access to extra content. Is it reminded you of something? Quit yet? Yeah, let's keep going. Uh, that could be a bonus. That could be bonus tweets, access to a community group, subscription to a newsletter. Excuse me, or a badge indicating your support. In a mock-up screenshot, uh, Twitter showed an example where a user charges four ninety-nine per month dollars. Excuse me. Uh, to receive a series of perks, Twitter sees it as a way to let creators and publishers get paid directly by their fans. Direct payment tools have become increasingly important for creators, in particular in recent years. Uh, Patreon has been hugely successful. It's not the one I'm thinking of. Uh, and other platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, and even GitHub, have all launched uh, direct uh, direct creator payment features. Twitter will presumably uh, presumably take a cut. The company has been hinting at subscription features that would offer a new source of revenue, though it doesn't appear to have said what that fee will be. Folks uh, became so upset about the news. Uh, this is back to the uh, the article. Uh, folks came so upset about the news. Hashtag RP Twitter began to trend, which is pretty damn meta. Uh, that is pretty damn meta. Uh, naturally, I have questions about the super follows feature. Will it be deemed essentially useless since people would just take screenshots and put it all over Twitter, or will that be disabled? Will people who create those epic Twitter story threads, you'll know the impact, at least one of them became a whole whole movie, uh, start exclusively pay, uh, using the pay-per-view feature? I can't personally think of anyone who I'd pay to access their tweets, especially since there are no uh, so many other avenues I can engage with them for free. That was actually the earlier law of Twitter. You could directly communicate with folks uh, you normally would have uh, wouldn't have access to, like celebrities. It was an equal le- uh, equal level playing field. Well, until we established a social hierarchy such as number of followers, that's bigger platform, blue check marks, though they were initially intended to verify an important person's identity to avoid cyber identity theft, monetizing content, etc. <laughs> In the vein of social currency and companies' ability to capitalize from it, Twitter has never been has never really been free anyway, quote unquote free. Uh, I can see yet another type of hierarchy happening with this type of thing, and my knee-jerk reaction is to reject it. Then again, who knows what will happen if this becomes the norm and users are left no choice but to assimilate. I love that word. It's very it's very Matrix, very Doctor Who, isn't it? Assimilate. Uh, on the flip side. With independent creators uh, using Twitter to dis- distribute and promote their content, they're also susceptible to their content being pilfered, or I love that word pilfered, uh, or used by other platforms to, uh, for profit without any credit or conversation. You know, the debate between the copyright between copyright infringement and fair use becomes complicated as hell as soon as you hit the tweet button. Uh, this change could be very beneficial to that end. I guess we'll see how it goes. That said, I want to pose a question to you. Uh, readers of The Root and listeners of What's Good, I guess. Is there one person or list of people you would consider subscribing to on a paid plan so that you can access their exclusive tweets? And my personal answer is new. There is nobody that I would, in my right mind, pay for their tweets. 
I am sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It ain't happening. It's it's just not happening. It, n- not me, chief. Not me. Ain't it for me, chief? Not 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 not. <laughs> it's not gonna happen on my front. Not no 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 tweets. No tweets shall be paid uh, from my bank accounts. That is not uh, what is going to happen to me. Um, yeah, but this <sighs> is this is. Um, I was, I was talking about this with some friends about it, because, um, you know, it came up, and uh, I think I actually sent the original tweet, I was like, here we go, guys, here's, here's, here we go, um, and I was I was, I was was trying to think of, like, what would I actually pay for um, on the Twitter side, and you know what, for me personally, the only, the only time I would personally take my wallet, right, and read my digits on the back and the front of my card, right, the only time I would do that for Twitter specifically, obviously, you know, it, it varies on other fronts, but um, for Twitter especially, I would pay a, I don't know, maybe uh, either a one-time fee or a uh, a yearly subscription fee. Let's just do that. A yearly thing, right? We'll, we'll quibble about numbers in a bit. Uh, well, actually, we'll not quibble about numbers because... You know, everyone has their price. But for me, I would pay. I would think about paying. Let's just say that I'll think about paying for ad free. Uh, for ad free, just just ad free Twitter. Just no ads, no ads. When I peep a video, I want the video to be playing immediately. Uh, when I I don't want to see no sponsored tweets. Could not give a fuck about uh, this random dude selling T-shirts. Do not give a fuck. Couldn't give two shits. I I hate sponsored tweets. They come up on my feed. Look, uh, sticking out like a sore thumb, and I'm just like, what is this? And sometimes ain't even in English. Like sometimes I'm getting Saudi Arabian tweets. I'm like, what the fuck is? I'm not the audience for this, my guy. What is Twitter doing? It don't make sense. This is waste of real estate. This is waste of my screen real estate right now. Waste, absolute waste. So that's the only time I would potentially take my wallet out for. Now pricing, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe a tenner. There you go, tenner a year. Tenner a year, and think about this, right? So let me let's look at it right quick. How many um, how many active Twitter users are there, right? Because let's just let's just do the let's do the math. Let's do the math live, right? So it's it's um, ten quid, right? And we have three hundred according to the statista, um, three hundred and thirty million um, <laughs> active Twitter users. Fuck. <laughs> so. <laughs> So let's do the math. Three hundred thirty million times by ten, and, <laughs> and you have three billion three hundred million. Uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, that's a lot of p. Just think about that, right? So if everyone paid ten quid for no ads, I th- I think that'll be a pretty lucrative business for Twitter. If if they had a a ten a ten pound a year subscription to never see an ad on Twitter, I would I I'd personally pay for it, and I feel like a lot of people would. I feel like a lot of people would. Um, you know, it's not op- it's optional. If it was completely optional, yeah, go for it. I would pull that fucking trigger, because I'm on Twitter on a regular. So you know, it's it's, it's no scra- it's no uh, skin off my nose. That's the only time I'd pay for Twitter. Um, if it was a ten pound. Yearly, yearly thing, uh, to never see an ad or a sponsored post again, on Twitter, love it, here for it, sweet, banging, I am so fucking here for that. Everything else, paying for tweets, I'm not paying for anybody's tweets. I'm sorry, 
I'm not paying for everybody's tweets. I'm not paying for tweets. No chance in hell. Uh, they're the God, Jesus. And I, I was I was hinting at um you know what this reminds me of. Um, and they didn't mention on on the root uh, article, but it, it, this is big only fans energy. This is. <laughs> This is this is big OnlyFans energy. Uh, let's not get it twisted. Uh, I feel I feel like uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. I I I have a feeling. Uh, this is uh, the the OnlyFans gang. Uh, uh they will, will just uh, migrate. You know, to I mean that's just another stream. Uh, technically, that's another stream of content. Right, uh, another stream of um, uh, uh, income. That's what stream of income right there. So you can go on OnlyFans if you want, but you can do Twitter as well. That's two. That's two streams of income right there. OnlyFans gang, war. They bought, they must be guess about this. Think about that. Think about that. So you know, if you've got people on Twitter, hey man, do your things, man. Do your things. I won't be paying for it. I would not be paying for any of that. But fuck me. Do your things, bro. Do your things. Hop into music, and we are talking about uh, something that we already mentioned in a week where, and it is the death of Mr. Bunny Whaler, uh, died at the age of 73 uh, yesterday, as of uh, Wednesday, March 3rd, this day I'm recording. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I feel like I had to. I, I, I've had a, you know, the past 24 hours. I was just like thinking of. Not just the death of him, but the fact that, you know, him, Tosh, and Marley are dead now. And, you know, that whole, like, legendary legacy of, you know, Bob Marley and the Whalers in particular are just, like, gone now. And also with the death of Uroy last week as well, it's just got me thinking um, just about how we, <clears throat> how we preserve... Um, how we preserve history, you know. Um, so I wanted to uh, uh, the the my my what I wanted to talk about has nothing to do with the article itself, but it's just a good article I found literally today, um, just before I recorded. I had another one which is just regular bitchery, but uh, this one I just enjoyed very much more. Uh, this is by Lloyd Bradley of the Guardians called uh, "The Brilliant Bunny Whaler uh, Push Reggae Forward on His Own Terms." Um, so let's just give us a read. Let's just dive right in because uh, I feel like this is a real Interesting insight um, into uh, who Bunny was, I guess. Uh, the documentary film Fire in Babylon, the story of the West Indies cricket team of the 70s and 80s, is peppered with contributions from that all-conquering side. But the show is comprehensively stolen less than five minutes in by the natalie dressed, uh, dressed, dressed, uh, dressed uh, Bunny Whaler sitting on a boulder. He is eloquent and insightful, talking about the significance of that team to black people in the Caribbean, uh, but increasingly loses his cool with a dog barking off camera. In a flash, the articulate academic tones disappear. He whips off his dark glasses and shouts, clap him again. Uh, then, almost smirkingly, uses this as an analogy for how Jamaicans approach cricket. The dog has a cameo later in the film, only for Whaler to almost effectively, affectionate, yeah, affectionately shoo it away. And it's all as vivid an illustration as anything musical of who he was, Smart, dryly funny, not to be trifled with, but not really as fierce as he come, come, uh, came across. Indeed, it was much—it uh, was as much a balance of personalities among Bunny, Peter Tosh, and Bob Marley 
that made the group uh, made their group the way they're so appealing. Tosh, a six foot seven streak of barely controlled anger. Marley, a quasi hippie who understood the rock world, and the pragmatic Bunny who valued his artistic and socio-political freedom. When he left the Whalers between Bunnin and Natty Dread, it didn't appear an e- easy decision. He and Marley were friends from childhood and had a half-sister in common, Claudette, born to Whaler's dad and Marley's mum. But for anybody who knew Whaler, it wasn't a surprise. He didn't, he didn't so much want success in his own right, he wanted it in his own terms, on his own terms. The marker for what was possible under those terms was Black Heart Man, his solo debut in 76. And one of the ho- and one of the half a dozen truly great roots reggae albums. The set was so pure. The set was pure Bunny Whaler. Thoughtful subject matter made all the more hard hitting by the sweet singing, showcasing so much of what hadn't been apparent in the Whaler's most recent manifestation. His songwriting skills, his agile and seductive tenor, his nuanced dark and light approach uh, to his root subject matter, and a sense of irony. The Black Heart Man was. The mythical Rasta man, bogeyman figure Jamaican parents would reference to scare the children. That's why it works. It's honest, honest and unashamed. The LP was instantly and internationally successful, even in the US where reggae traditionally struggled, but Whaler hated touring. He liked flying even less and rarely did press or promotion. He would only come down to Kingston from his farm if he absolutely had to. And while his first album came on Island Records, he set up his own label, Solomonic, uh, for subsequent releases. What Whaler shrewdly, uh, shrewdly achieved was creative independence, coupled with an international presence. The wider music world continued to want to know what he was doing. His holding up in Jamaica allowed him to do it without interference, by opting not to work within the conventional system, or in some cases even acknowledging it, uh, even acknowledge it. Whaler bought himself the freedom to experiment and interact with his Jamaican audience first. Vitally, this meant he could explore and contribute to reggae as it developed at grassroots level, rather than remain on the corporately defined carousel, and he has been celebrated as one of the few leading reggae artists to transcend genres within the music. Of course, it didn't always come off, his disco dabblings are best not mentioned out loud, but Whaler's excursions into dancehall and digital reggae, with his roots and culture credentials intact, so it's, uh, surprised a lot of people outside Jamaica. The album Bunny Whaler Sings the Whalers updates some of the trio's early hits while remaining true to the originals, deftly demonstrating how much modern Jamaican music was interlocking. Of course, another aspect of Whaler's shift away from the mainstream music business was his total immersion into, in Rastafari. A personal and deeply spiritual part of his life, his all-round independence allowed him to express his faith as he saw fit. The somewhat regal, brilliant white robes or the officer uniform style suits became something of a trademark. The first time I met him, he was smoking weed in a sizable but beautiful curved, uh, how do you say that word, meerschaum, meerschaum style pipe with a restaurant carved as the bowl. Of course, the strength of these convictions uh, could sometimes be a pain in the rear. He once kept me and a BBC film crew standing for about several hours on the street of Kingston, waiting for him to arrive at a venue he was already inside. Years later, when I was working on a project with his manager, I mentioned this and he roared with laughter, but her reply made perfect sense. Quote, I hope you didn't take that personally. It wasn't you he was keeping waiting. It was Babylon, the BBC. Unquote. This, like the dog, was all part of Whaler flexing who he was, 
but ultimately not wanting to do any harm. And he deserved that right, because since his Studio One days in the early 60s, he had been working to move Jamaican music forward, and even more so after turning his back on the group to put Jamaica and grassroots reggae first. So I just found that article really fascinating to read, because it really gives you um, a certain insight um, than that a, uh, you know, just a regular, um, uh, just just a regular obituary um, that I was going to read originally, um, gives. Um, but by the way, Lloyd Bradley, he's a, uh, a British writer, um, uh, works on black music from funk to reggae, um, it's contributed to like Enemy, Q, Mojo, and, uh, you know, has a, actually has a book called Bass Culture, History of Reggae, was published in 2000, apparently, according to his little bio on here. So I might give that a read, that's, uh, so I might give a put that on the wish list. Um, so yeah, it just gives a real, uh, it, it, I, just, I, I just like the, uh, especially the differences um, that Bradley puts um, between uh, the three. Um, you know, saying Tosh, uh, a six foot seven streak of barely controlled anger, Marley, a quasi hippie who understood the rock world, and pragmatic money who valued his artistic and socio political platform. I, I, I find that so fascinating. And obviously, you know, Bob Marley is the the face, right, of you know Jamaican music in general <laughs> for a lot of people. Uh, when I say Jamaican music. Uh, you think Bob Marley, well, especially when I say reggae, you, you think Marley, but I think Jamaican music as well, you think Marley. Um, but, you know, having somebody, um, you know, having somebody so big, um, it's, it's hard to look past that person and look at other people around him. Um, you know, I remember watching the that Marley documentary, uh, I forget the name of it, it might have just been called Marley, if I'm being honest, um, I think Trevor McDonald directed it, shout out to him, Trevor McDonald, the G, the OG, the legend, um, I think, I think he, I think he narrated it, um, or directed it, or both, um, it's a really good documentary, um, but obviously it talks about Marley specifically, and just his, um, uh, life and career and all that, but you know, for someone like a bunny whaler who's, you know, just right there, you know, childhood friends, they're from the beginning kind of thing, um, you know, people don't talk about him as much, and that's kind of where I was going to get to in terms of what I wanted to, uh, my particular angle on the death of bunny whaler, um, and also Euroy as an extension, I guess, um, I just find it interesting how people, uh, pick and choose, I guess, what to, take in you know um and i guess that's a matter that's, that's just a matter of like what you are usually given like if you're introduced to reggae some people are going to give you bob marley and the whalers music guaranteed right you're going to get three little birds you're going to get small acts right you're going to get all these tracks right F- like first thing but you know even when um me and my dad listened to um bob marley and the whalers right on in, in his car right he never had the reason to tell me about Tosh and and uh, and uh, Bunny. He never had the reason to, right? But that kind of brings me to why uh, my my point, which is, I I feel like people should be, and not just in terms of music, in terms of art. I feel like it's in terms of a lot of things in life. When you talk about one thing, I feel like it is always worth you know giving people the opportunity um to 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 explore more and to actually look 
past that, you know, that that talisman, so to speak, for lack of a better phrase, right? So when you show someone, right, uh, when you give someone a Bob Marley track, and you give them a, a, a Bob Marley and the Wailers track, right? Um, why not, on top of that, just say, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the members had his own solo career as well. If you want to peep that kind of stuff, you know what I mean. Just just leave that door just ajar. You know what I mean? Because uh, until now, I I've well, I'm still technically, you know what I mean. I've just I've never I've never explored past Bob Marley in this fashion. Um, this is kind of the first time I've done that into looking, and it had to be it had to be. For for the last you know founding member of the Waiters, uh, dying, yeah, and that's unfortunate. Um, but I feel like it's so so worth like just giving credence and awareness to uh, people behind you know the big figure that you know people just put onto. Like if you if you give the if you give someone like um, if you if you give someone like a Kendrick album, right? And you like, alright, here's this Kendrick album, it slaps, right? It's banging. And, you know, it, and they enjoy it, right? Yeah, and they're like, oh, this is great, this is great, I love Kendrick now. I'm, I'm listening to his uh, previous stuff. Don't stop there, don't stop there. Go like, you know, he actually has, um, you know, he's part of a label, you know, it's called Top Dog Entertainment, and like, there's other, you know, other artists on there, you should give them a try as well. You know what I mean? Just leave that door open. Or, even better, you know what I mean? Uh, you, you know, um... Uh, you know that last track, Compton, you know, Dr. Dre was on it, yeah, yeah, you should look into Dr. Dre as well, you know what I mean, because if someone hasn't listened to Dre, <laughs> if someone doesn't listen to Kendrick, I damn sure think, don't think they've listened to Dre, um, actually, a friend, like, asked me about Dilla, I don't, I don't think I've said this on the pod yet, I, I may have, but yeah, a friend asked me, um, about Dilla, about Jay Dilla, and, um, you know, I gave, I gave them a, you know, I whipped them up a little two-hour playlist of just, like, um, of just Dilla beats and you know Dilla produce works from a myriad of people, you know from like a uh, Janet Jackson to Tribal Quest, Buster Rhymes, etc. And obviously his solo work as well. You know that's that's that, there you go. That's the door opening, isn't it? That's, that's that's leaving a door open for them. Here's some here's some stuff to get you started, right? And then you know and then they can go wherever they want. You know I mean I think that's what's the beauty of like what we have today, of the of the plethora of works that we have today at our fingertips and I'm not sure if people are actually using that to the full advantage and I just want to encourage that a lot more um but yeah R.P. Bunny Whaler um uh, last member of the well it's the Whalers um all gone now um and yeah obviously it will their, their particular legacy will last because obviously it's tied to you know the the biggest eyes to come out of Jamaica, um, but you know it is worth. I th- I feel uh, if you enjoy that, just just dig into some more. Just just go look at just go look at some solo bunny work maybe. You know what I mean just a that is just a thought and it's only a thought. It's the door uh, I'm gonna leave a jar for you uh, to walk through if you feel.
I move on to film and TV, and we are talking about uh, an artist that has been long gone, um, this uh, Billie Holiday. Uh, and obviously, there's a film recently that's recently dropped uh, called The United States versus Billie Holiday. Um, you know, go peep if you want. Um, but this kind of um, this story is kind of bittersweet um, in a lot of ways, and it compare and it combines with an opinion that I've been thinking about uh, in the past week or so. It's been in the past month actually, past month or so, just you know, just simmering. Um, and I'm going to let it out um, later later on. Uh, but this is just um, a great article. This is by uh, Soraya Nadi uh, McDonald uh, via The Undefeated. It's called Billy Holiday Deserves Better. And, uh, yeah, this is just, um, I don't know. I've, I've, I remember watching, I don't know if it was like a documentary or just like, you know, one of them compilation shows uh, where they just like, you know, show a person's live shows for like an hour or whatever. Uh, like an hour mix, so to speak, and I remember just like peeping Billie Holiday and how amazing she was as a vocalist and as a singer and uh, you know as an artist, and just like looking up her story and how tragic it was in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, and uh, it comes to the film as well. That um, well, I, I think the article will definitely get to it. But uh, yeah, it's just um, it's just a real tragic story um, overall for a real you know, amazing talent, but anyway, enough of that, let's get into the article itself. Before the tragedies of Britney Spears or Winnie Houston, there was Billie Holiday. Uh, there's a cruel bl- blueprint to the way American society treats many of its most beloved female stars. It consumes them, uses them up, demands they reflect grand sexist delusions of goodness and propriety. Uh, when they inevitably fail to satisfy this appetite, they are blamed, shamed, and mocked for their troubles. A 20th century emblem of this dark side, the female celebrity, can be found in Holiday. The subject of a new biopic written by playwright Susan Laurie Parks and directed by Lee Daniels. United States vs. Billie Holiday, currently streaming on Hulu, stars Andra Day as the Gardenia-adorned singer and songwriter. The film itself is a scattershot mess of trauma exploitation, revealing the greatest weak spots in the biopic genre, the compulsion to tick through the chronology of a person's Wikipedia entry without much regard for the larger intricacies of their personality and personhood. That is a big, as a big blip on what biopics are. That, that happens a fuck ton, and it really just, it's, it's, it's kind of depressing, and uh, it'll get to my overall point. But anyway, let's continue. Uh, the biggest flaw of the United States versus Billie Holiday, besides its commitment to substituting uh, substituting uh, shocking violence for character development, is that it cannot decide how its leading lady sees herself. Instead, it relies on the perspective of Jimmy Fletcher, Trevante Rhodes, uh, the black FBI agent who tailed her for many years, a made-up journalist named Reginald Lord Devine, uh, by, played by Leslie Jordan, and the many men who abuse Holiday over the course of her 44 years. The film's source material is Joanne Hari's Chasing the Scream, the first and last days of the war on drugs, in which Hari uh, details Harry J. Anslinger's, yeah, uh, Anslinger's obsessive quest to shut Holiday up, particularly when she began singing the anti-lynching protest song Strange Fruit. Anslinger uh, was the head of the Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics. His compa- uh, campaign to either catch or frame Holiday with drugs was part of a greater crusade against jazz and black advancement in the American society. Or, as Hari told the NPR podcast through line, uh, quote, he was so racist that he was regarded as a crazy racist in the 1920s, unquote. 
that's that's outstanding. Uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday isn't the first to struggle with these issues. For decades, both documentary and narrative works have found uh, founded. I don't know if that's supposed to be floundered, but founded. Uh, when it comes to illustrating how the events of Holiday's life shaped her. Instead, they tend to comp- compartmentalise Diana Ross's Holiday uh, in Lady Sing to Blues, uh, 1972, uh, is characterised by a beautiful, helpless pity, uh, not unlike Holly Golightly's, uh, in, uh, Gol- Holly Golightly <coughs> in Breakfast and Tiffany's. The timeless, uh, the tininess, 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 I think it's tininess, of Ross's frame, and the delicate bell-like quality of her voice reinforced the idea of a woman who is thrown about by men and forces bigger and stronger than uh, forces bigger than stronger than her, and diminishes the singer's agency. <clears throat> the Lady Day at Emerson at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Uh, Audrey McDonald plays Holiday giving a performance at a cabaret in Philadelphia about four months before her death. McDonald's Holiday gets progressively more intoxicated through the infor- uh, through the performance, even taking a break to shoot up. Then coming back to the stage with her track marks in full view because she's failed to pull up the sleeves on her fingerless opera gloves. Uh, McDonald's delivers a number of startlingly realistic stumbles, but what endures about her interpretation is how much care McDonald's takes uh, to incorporate Holiday's 10-year-old self in the body of a grown 44-year-old woman. It's a compassionate exploration, yet dark and unsettling all the same. Through te- the 2019 Throughline podcast explains how the federal government's drug war actually began with Holiday because of Anxinger's racist ap- uh, antipathy for jazz and its growing popularity. <clears throat> Imagine just hating mu- uh, hating a music just uh, as an extension of how racist you are. <laughs> like, at, le- <clears throat> at least with today's racists, right? They um. They, they, you know, they, they can, they can separate hip hop to, uh, they can, they can separate black people and hip hop easily. Like they, they'll listen to Travis Scott, but easily say the N word. Like it's just, it's, it's glorious. Like it's, it's so glorious. But this dude, no, nah, I, I hate black people so much. I hate the music they create. Fuck jazz. Fuck the overall. Just, just fuck the whole genre. Amazing. Uh, I need, a, I need an article on that dude and how racist he was. Fucking hell. That's, that's some, that's some, that's some grade A racism. Anyway. Uh, a 2001 BBC documentary called Billy Holiday Sensational Lady that may have been it you know that may have been the documentary I saw from way back it was way back in the day I, I barely remember it uh, which was part of a larger series called Reputations uh, features interviews with many of her surviving male bandmates but it seems to come to the conclusion that Holiday was the talented singer who ruined her life with drugs and didn't want to be seen as a victim the 2020 documentary Billy written and directed by James er- Erskine yeah Erskine uh, pulls together uh, reporting done by Linda Linpack Cool, uh, who spent eight years amassing research and interviews, including 200 hours of audio tape for a never-finished biography of Holiday. Cool died by suicide in 1978, uh, though her sister appears in documentary and asserts that she believes her sister was murdered. A question that none of these works fully answers uh, answers is: given how much she was carrying, how did Holiday survive as long as she did? Attempting to answer that question is just as significant to understanding her life and art as Holiday's many traumas and the ways she confronted or avoided them. A bit of commonality that materialises in many of these works, one that vibrates along a similar wavelength to retrospectives of the lives of Spears and Houston. All three women came of age in, uh, publicly in a society that is deeply racist and misogynistic. Those realities shaped the contours of their fame 
and the respite, illicit or otherwise, uh, that they sought from it. But it's not until the, uh, it's not until years, sometimes decades, after the heart of their misery, that they're afforded some grace from the judgment and violence that contributed to the per, to their public breakdowns. Thanks to new documentaries, Whitney, 2018, and New York Times presents Framing Britney Spears and the public discussions that followed, I think that dropped recently, uh, there is now some acknowledgement of the way such scrutiny and premature sexualization can unravel a person. But what of Holiday, who died from heart failure in 1959? <clears throat> uh, Holiday was continually failed by the men in her life, by the father she never knew, by the man who raped her as a child, by her husband, Jimmy Monroe, who was a pimp and slapped her around, by Louis McKay, another husband who did the same while taking her money. By her agent Joe Glazer, who turned her into the feds. By her manager and boyfriend John Levy, who narked on her in 1944. By John Hammond, the band leader who fired Holiday because, according to her pianist and friend Jonathan Joe Jones, he wanted her to sing the blues and, quote, be his musical mammy, unquote. By Swing King Benny Goodman and her white bandmates, uh, who slept in hotels and ate in restaurants while Holiday had to sleep on the tour on their tour bus, and rely on them to bring her plates when she was denied accommodation because she was black. By Count Basie, who wanted Holiday to darken herself with makeup to sing with his band because he thought she was too light-skinned. According to Hari, uh, when she was still a child, following the rape that occurred when she was ten, Holiday was accused of prostitution and punished for the assault being sent to a Catholic reform school. And yet, there wasn't much grace granted to Holiday in the 2001 BBC documentary. Jazz critic Stanley Crouch, a crank who resented Tony Morrison's choice to write about black women, afforded Holiday so little, in fact, that I wanted to reach through the screen and punch him. In Sensational Lady, Holiday's bandmates and... uh, uh, and Crouch perpetuate the idea that her addictions and their probable source were a mysterious flaw that cannot be fully fully be understood, even as they annoyed and inconvenienced the men with whom she worked. It couldn't have been that bad, they rationalised, because when men struck holiday, she often struck them back. The male sources in these documentaries uh, characterised characterized holiday's relationships with abusive men as situations that she chose because she enjoyed pain and drama. Holiday had a long-lasting close relationship with saxophonist Esther Young, who gave her the nickname Lady Day, and who called herself uh, called her mother, mother the Duchess. She called them Prez. She called him Prez. Uh, but these men repeatedly undercut the role Young likely played as a confidant and kindred spirit. Their explanations for why the relationship between Lady Day and Prez remained platonic is simply that Young wasn't her type because he was too nice and didn't beat her. Quote, I don't think she was. She's the kind of person for whom we should feel sorry. Uh, feel sorry, really, because she is. She always was able to express herself artistically. Crouch says in Sensational Lady, a lot of people who become drug addicts or alcoholics. That's all they are. Unquote. Huh. Don't know about that. In Billy, a friend describes Holiday as a masochist who pursued physical abuse and says she witnessed a time when McKay quote unquote uh, knocked her out across the street. But she also says that McKay was obsessed with trying to control the singer, who she saw, her friends, even what she ate. It's as if uh, it's as though no one can quite uh, square how a woman has self-directed and poetically profane, uh, as self-directed and poetically profane, could be in an abusive relationship, after abusive relationship, uh, except by choice and explicit preference. I just don't buy it. 
These conclusions sound like they're coming from people who don't understand the nature of intimate partner abuse and instead are blaming the victim. The characteristics and goals of McKay's control over holiday are typical of abusers. According to Billy, the singer tried to divorce McKay in time uh, to prevent him from inheriting her estate before she died and ran out of time. Sensational Lady is more explicit and asserts that Holiday stuffed her last bit of cash, about $750, in her vagina to keep anyone, McKay especially, from getting to it while she was hospitalised. Despite the fact that Sensational Lady and Billy assert that an adult man raped Holiday when she was 10 and that she began performing sex work with her mother when she was 13, few, if any, of the subjects interviewed appear to recognise how such experiences could perpetually reverberate through a person's life or affect her relationships. Uh, and the treatment she perhaps thought she deserved. Given the many ways she was repeatedly betrayed, it's hard to imagine how Holiday was able to trust anyone. Having such a uh, having such one having one such formative experience can be crushing, and Holiday had many. In Billy, Holiday's cousin John Fagan, with whom she grew up, tells Cool that men quote, play, quote unquote played on her body, a, colloquial, a colloquialism for sexual abuse among. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to read ahead and fuck. A colloquialism for sexual abuse common to the era uh, in which Holiday grew up. Played on her body. Mmm, that's a tasty term. Uh, people who played on her when she was a kid, Kuehl asks. Of course, Fagan responds, the men folk. Uh, Erskine also presents an interview with a pimp named Skinny Davenport who knew Holiday. Cool asked Davenport how, men, how women felt about him uh, beating them to keep them in line. They loved it. Be so proud of a black eye, Devonport said. That's the way they liked it, baby. Uh, you had to treat him rough. That's the way they liked it. Okay. Let's just let that one simmer. Uh, it's clear that Holiday, uh, born in 1915, grew up in an environment in which violence towards black women and girls were, was regarded as commonplace. Something that happened with such regularity that when interviewed about it, Devonport recalls the memories of beating women with nostalgic laughter. I think many people, especially the men closest to Holiday, uh, needed to believe that black women, Holiday included, like being hurt, and uh, that they sought it out because it prevents them from having to consider the full breadth of violence that has been enacted upon black women and the ways they were complicit in perpetuating it. This cycle happens over and over with female artists. Houston spent years as the butt of jokes, pilloried as a messy public slob with no willpower, while the question of cruelties that might have uh, fed her drug abuse went largely unchallenged. We know that Holiday bristled at the word victim. Victim as a label uh, inspires pity, and pity is as useless as a response. Uh, uses is, is a useless response to situation uh, that demand action. A song like Strange Fruit is not a song begging for pity. It is a call to arms. But because Old Holiday didn't uh, want to be seen as a victim, doesn't mean that she didn't suffer. The thing that made Holiday an artist and not a victim, so to speak is that she insisted upon sharing the truth of her experiences. She spoke up for herself and for black people repeatedly, sharing the melodic ache of, retract of refracted truths bent just through uh, to bent just enough to drag uh, behind a bass line. The musician Billy Preston, who died in 06, once spoke to New Yorker's David Remnick uh, about her, another famous but en enigmatic black woman, Aretha Franklin. Quote, I don't care what they say about Aretha, he, uh, he said. Uh, she can be hiding out in her house in Detroit for years. She can go decades without taking a plane or flying off to Europe. She can cancel half her gigs and infuriate every producer and promoter in the country. She can sing all kinds of jive-ass songs that are beneath her. She can go into a diva act and turn off the world. 
But on any given night, when that lady sits down at the piano and gets her body and soul all over some righteous song, she'll scare the S out of you, and you'll know, you'll swear, uh, that she, that she's still the best effing singer in this effed up country, uh, this effed up country has ever produced, unquote. The same could be easily said of Holiday, who, like Franklin, was impossible to ignore because she had a reputation for singing songs as though she lived them. Holiday is the voice of Jim Crow, um, emblematic of the double-barreled violence that African-American women faced and continue to face, both from the state and from the people they rely on for love and community and protection. Strange Fruit made it impossible to look away from or accept the horrors of lynching, Holiday's famed and evident misery should not have made it impossible to look away from the sexual violence that shaped her life and work. But the scale and devastation of lynching are understood and documented in a way that the private and ongoing violence of rape is not. It's easier to laugh at or blame a woman for being a mess in public than it is to blame, uh, understand what led to it. We know how Holiday escaped most of her, her escaped her most horrifying horrifying realities. There are plenty of images, both real and recreated, of her brandishing a drink, taking a drag off a joint or a cigarette, injecting herself with heroin. What remains a mystery, still, is how on earth she got through those realities at all when so many seemed invested in seeing her symptoms and so few really saw or heard her hurt, leaving Holiday as, uh, quote, uh, the remnant of a one-sided love affair, unquote, with a public that never stopped demanding all of her. And that is the entirety of the article. And uh, as you can imagine, there was a reason why I wanted to read all of it, um, even though it was a very lengthy piece. It's because it was all necessary. And um, the the point I wanted to make overall, and um, it has nothing to do with, obviously, uh, with, with Holiday specifically, but I will get I will get to that because I feel like it's much worth uh, it's definitely worth remarking on. Um, I have a problem with the biopics that are coming out recently, uh, United States versus Billy Holiday for one. And you know, McDonald actually um, uh, talked about it a little bit, um, but not in the overall sense. Talking about how you know these documentaries and these biopics are you know framing uh, just. It, it, just from first from jump framing this in a very odd way um and it's kind of what i'm getting at with um it's a conclusion i'm coming to with a lot of these recent biopics and for some of these documentaries that are coming out now and obviously it's it's been the same with it's been it's been the same for a while but um it's the fact that there's been so many so much investment now in black in biopics about black uh, uh, legends, you know, United States versus Bill Holiday, uh, and specifically, what I want to talk about was Judas and Black Messiah. Um, I was talking to a friend who was watching it, and they were talking to me about it and asking me if I seen it. I was like, I haven't, and to be honest, I probably won't for in the near future because I am not exactly comfortable with how these things are going. Uh, you know, they're, they're just coming at a rapid pace all of a sudden, and, you know, <laughs> the cynic in me, you know, I've, I, I, I've, we, we've talked about um, the, you know, the film industry and how, like, you know, they're not doing this out of love for Fred Hampton, they're not doing this out of love, excuse me, for Billy Holiday, 
They're doing it because there's a market for it right now. They're doing it because there's a market for it right now. Do not get it twisted. It's all about the P. And the reason and the reason why I'm so hesitant about seeing all this stuff um, is because of that. It just doesn't seem genuine to me. And you know, I I can't I can't I can't tell Andre Day, who recently won a Golden Globe for a performance on the United States first bit of day. I can't tell her, you know, if if it was if she was in my face right now, I couldn't I couldn't exactly tell her that like you know, regardless of how good your performance was, the film was flawed at the big from from the jump. And you know that because it has nothing to do with her. You know, she she was given a script, she liked the script, and she went for it. You know, what I mean, that's that's all on her. But you know, for people like Lee Daniels, who you know, such a um, who was such a figure in uh, in, in the industry at the mo- uh, you know for the past few year, for the past decade or so, like it's it's a bit disgusting. It's a little bit disgusting that you're not going to take this, you know, very very sensitive story. And I feel like Billie Holiday is a story that. Um, in some ways, shouldn't be told on screen, uh, not because of how you know um, uh, violent it was or any of it, anything like that. It's because we don't actually have the true stature as to how she, you know, asking the que- asking the question that McDonald was asking throughout the throughout the article. How did she get through all of that? You know what I mean? Like, how did she get through that? And there's there's no there's you know there's the audio tapes and I don't I haven't obviously peeped the audio tapes like maybe that maybe that all the answers are on there but the fact that we don't know specifically how the hell she got through all of this um, and the mindset of someone who has who was raped and did sex work as a teenager and did every drug known to man you know exaggerating right how do they get through that how did they survive until 44 you know what i mean and no i don't think anybody really has the answer to that and that's why i personally think that this film and you know and obviously the documentaries the documentaries you know i mean people people not gonna stop people from making these things but i just don't feel like if you don't have the story from the person in and even and even secondhand because i don't feel like i feel like these people didn't even have it secondhand like the jazz creek dude Oh, what the fuck does he know? You know what I mean? What the fuck does he know? Did he interview Billy, Billy Holiday? You know what I mean? Did, did he did he did he do a profile on her in any way? Like, did she spend time with her? No idea. But it just seems like that dude just had an agenda. Um, the reason why something like Aretha, a, a story like Aretha Franklin, um, comes across so well um, in a lot of ways is because she's re- regularly talked about it. She's regularly talked about her strife and struggles. On wax and in interviews and all that stuff. Same with someone like uh, Maya Angelou, for example, right? She she has spoken specifically many a time about how she did uh, why how why she did sex work and was never ashamed to talk about it because and uh, and also uh, the abuse she had over her lifetime because she 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 was not ashamed of her past in that way. Um, but I feel like Billie Holiday's story is so. Um, thin in terms of actual fact, in my mind, I don't think I don't think something like United States vs. Beholder should have been made. Um, and getting to my overall point, and I'll leave it here. The reason why I don't think something like Judas and, and going back to uh, <laughs> I know I went on a big tangent, but I was talking about someone here who was watching Judas and Black Messiah, and they were asking me like, "Do you know much about Fred Hampton?" I was like, "I know enough to not exactly be interested in the film in particular." 
Um, and again, this is no shot to, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, who also won the Golden Globe for his performance in it, and is an Oscar frontrunner right now, right? That's a big up Daniel Kaluuya, big up, big up Daniel Kaluuya, big up Lakeith Stanfield, right? All of that, all of that, all of that, right? Big ups. You know, it's all good, but, but, but the fact that the film itself is literally about how this dude got shot, and this is my, and this is my, this is the crux, this is the source of my, of my uncomfortable uncomfortableness towards these films that are being made right now um not just because there's a market for them and that is the reason why they're being made do not get that twisted right it's not just because of that it's because this is this is going to be the first time someone's ever going to hear about fred hampton and to be honest i don't think that his death or the or the lead-ups to his death and how he died shouldn't be the first thing that people should see that's just me. Um, and also the fact that they, you know, obviously, because it's a Hollywood film, they completely put a Vaseline all the all the way uh, uh, over his, you know, uh, socialist uh, ideologies. F- fucking put all the Vaseline on that shit. You know, not to mention that. But I just don't, I just feel uncomfortable with the fact that, and the fact that he was 21, and, you know, someone like Kaluuya, who's like 30-something, is acting like it, it doesn't, it doesn't portray it properly. And I'm not asking it to be like a 100% fact biopic. I'm not asking for that. But, you know, at least get someone who's like in their 20s. Like who looks young. Because that's, that should be a genuine part of how fascinating Fred Hampton was. That's why I find him so fascinating. The fact that he, I'm 24 and everything he did was before the age of 22. That fascinates the fuck out of me. But the fact that, the, you know, all of these, all of these tweaks have been made irks me and the fact that for a lot of people their first um exposure to someone like fred hampton and to someone like billy holiday which is even worse and even more of a disservice um to the to the to the uh to the original story of that person and the original life of that person even more of a disservice these films are going to be the first exposure to these uh, to these uh to these people for a lot of people and I just don't feel comfortable with that. I I just don't feel comfortable with that. On top of the fact that these are bait Hollywood films, you know, and all of that, com- all, all that comes with that uh, side of things, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. And uh, yeah, I mean, you guys can watch the film. I'm not saying don't watch the films, right? Uh, form your own opinion, of course. Uh, but I I just can't help but feel uncomfortable. Um, about these films that are being made because there's an audience A and B just doing a complete disservice to the people in my mind to the people uh, that they're actually portraying and I find that uh, just very 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 disappointing So we finish up with our final uh, topic, this is our second life topic, and uh, this is a fascinating article uh, that was originally published in 2016, but I just find, I found it so interesting because uh, I was talking to some, I was talking to somebody the other week, and it was just like, you know, uh, there was no shit, they shared this tweet of just like, you know, just white people, white peopling, right? 
and um, they they literally ask like like uh, what, was, what was the question? I'm trying to think of the actual question verbatim, but like they were asking um, <laughs> who started racism, <laughs> and like or when did it start? You know, what I mean, just when did th- when did this racist shit start, right? Uh, and then, funny enough, I found this article that, um, you know, it's not, it's, it probably isn't, like, the first, you know, account of racist thought, right? Um, but it's called The Origins of Racist Thought. Um, it's by Libby Coleman. This is by Aussie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just found it, I just found it an interesting story. So, uh, let's just dive right in, because this will go, this will go to an interesting place, I feel like. A young man sat for a self-portrait engraving, pulling open his shirt to reveal his skin. His face was black, and his torso, uh, and was as was his torso, except, and this was the draw for a large white patch. Uh, his pants were rolled up too, revealing half white, half black legs. Below the resulting 1803 etching, uh, which was found, which has found new life on the internet, it reads "The Wonderful Spotted Indian." His actual name was John Bobby. Uh, it's one B, so I don't, know if, I don't know if it's Bobby or Bobby. I would say Bobby. Um, and like a bearded lady or a strong man, he travelled throughout England in the late 1700s and early 1800s as a part of a freak show-like circus. Bobby wasn't just any old attraction. He was an oddity, used to figure, uh, used to try to figure out why people had particular skin colours. It sounds crazy now, but many scientists uh, back then believed race was based on the climate in which people lived. The theory being that if you take people out of their normal climate, their complexions would change within 10 to 12 generations. Slaves transplanted to America or England, for example, would one day be white. <laughs> Fuck it, I'll imagine that. Um, and Bobby, um, I mean, in some ways, in some ways, that is kind of true. Um, you know, the educational system, you know what I'm saying? I'm, 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 I'm being glib, obviously. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the piss, but anyway. Uh, and Bobby was held up as an accelerated example of this transition. Between seventeen between the 1780s and the early 1800s, most American and Brits thought race was determined by environment and diet. The idea was so common that it was the soup uh, in which they swam, according to Katie Childs, associate professor, professor at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, uh, discussions of race often turned into fights about slavery and citizenship. Anti-slavery activists at the time, like Thomas Clarkson and Benjamin Rush, used the idea that race could change to uh, assert that slavery should be abolished, while others used it to justify the slave trade. The darkest truth of, darkest truth of it all, uh, quote, abolition at that time could very much uh, could be very much anti-slavery, but still very much anti-black. Uh, uh, Unquote says Hannah Hogarth, Rana Hogarth, sorry, uh, assistant professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana Champaign, referring to the fact that many abolitionists were eager to believe blackness can go away. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, that, you never think, you never think about that. Actually, I've I've never thought about that as it pertains to abolitionists back in the day. Like you, you think it's, you think it's just because they're anti-slavery, right, and whatever feelings they have towards black people. But they literally thought like you can remove slavery. And then, like, and then the blackness will go away. Right? But, uh, fucking, that's a crazy thought. Anyway. The child of black Jamaican slaves, Bobby, was born in the 1770s with a skin disorder now known as... Vit- is it vitiligo? That's how I've heard it, so I'll say vitiligo. Uh, which causes white spots. When Bobby was... Uh, uh, when Bobby was few, a few months old, his master called him the greatest curiosity in nature he ever saw. William Granger wrote in an account of Bobby's life... 
people in Kingston soon heard about the curiosity and began paying 10 shillings to see Bobby when he was just two years old. When Bobby wasn't even a teen, uh, his master's son arranged for him to be sent to Liverpool, England, where he, where he was baptised, sold to a showman and then exhibited. Uh, black British, uh, British spectators sometimes rubbed his skin patches to make sure they weren't painted on. Quote, people didn't have a way to make sense of him because he didn't fit their categories, uh, said, uh, says Roxanne Wheeler, associate professor, professor at Ohio State University and author of The Complexion of Race. And there's a fascinating picture of him, uh, a portrait, um, if you want to go see it and click the, click the link in full show notes. As a young man, uh, Bobby resented his inferior treatment, once remarking as he went up for sale, quote, I can't stand like that. I will not be sold like the monkeys, unquote. He was sold nonetheless. Later in life, with his indenture up, he was a free man and, uh, and earned a living by exhibiting himself. Uh, by exhibiting himself. Exhibits were popular in England, featuring dwarves, giants, dancing bears, animals with multiple heads. What? Animals with multiple heads, okay. Sure, surely that's been far in between. Uh, and various other anomalies. Watching people was entertainment, twisted and voyeuristic, but so-called good old-fashioned fun. Before Bobby, there was a girl with mottled uh, pigmentation named Mary Sabina, born in the 1730s in Cartagena, uh, Colombia, whom prominent scientist Comte, I've seen that Comte, Comte de Buffon, uh, claimed supported uh, claimed supported his theory that skin color could change. And Virginian Henry Moss, a contemporary of Bobby's, had uneven skin pigmentation that baffled medical professionals who aspired to learn how to quote unquote remove blackness. So Ogar says, uh, over time, the idea that race could be changed with climate, one of the earliest forms of eugenics, fell out of fashion. Progress, sure, but in its place arose physio physiognomy. <laughs> Great. Uh, the judging of character based on facial characteristics. Johann Kaspar Lavater's uh, skull studies, with their emphasis on proper facial angles, took on a life of its own and hardened raci- racial ideologies in England and the US through the 1800s. They formed the basis of countless racist opinions, and by the 1840s and 50s, racist science was firmly in place, Charles says. Are we so different now? Today, a physiognomy uh, 3.0 of sorts runs rampant. Studies show that people take one look before generalizing others' personalities and intelligence levels. Expressions like, quote, face you want to punch, resting bitch face, and honest face, for example, illustrate how prone we are to judging books by their covers. And while some research suggests that snap, these snap generalizations can often be accurate, inevitable misunderstandings and historical examples of misplaced science, quote-unquote science, should serve as cautionary tales. Yeah, so um, that's the entire article. Now, I just found that an interesting case study um, in physiognomy, right? The fact that, uh, the fact that people, you know, the skull stuff, um, there's, there's a few, I've, I've heard like, I've heard that, you know, side of quote unquote science being used. Um, I don't know if I, if I learned it in school specifically, right? But I, I heard it when I was in school. I, I heard about it. I don't know where I read it. I don't know if it was actually taught in a lesson or anything, but yeah, I, 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 I remember like, you know, people, uh, you know, taking black people's skulls and, 
you know, bashing them in and like uh, seeing the facial features and whatever bone structure, and it's like this is a black, this is a black face, and this is a white face. See the difference? Uh, like, like it had anything to do with anything. Um, and you know, the the article ends on a bit of a a bit of a bum note in my mind, where it's just like, don't judge a book by its cover, basically, <laughs> um, kind of a moral. Um, but I just find um, how we see people. Um, and, you know, this kind of can go back to uh, Billy Holiday, uh, you know, Fred Hampton. Um, it, this can go back to those kind of stories. And if we watch something based on this person, do we take that film as gospel? No, right? But when it comes to a documentary, I think it's harder for some people to see a documentary objectively. Um, there's a lot of times where, you know, you see a documentary, even though anyone can do one, uh, you see a documentary, you see it being hyped up, and you're like, okay, that's a definitive documentary of this person. You know what I mean? Uh, like when uh, you know, documentaries, Amy, Senna, uh, Marley, you know what I mean? It, these, it's just their name. It must be definitive, right? Um, but like like we said, we're going back to Bunny. You know, we're going full circle with this, <laughs> this episode. Um, going back to someone like Bunny, right? There's... There's more to the story. There's more to that story. Like it's not. It wasn't just Marley. It was Tosh and White and Whaler. Um, you know, it's not just. It, it's it's not just like Billy Holiday doing drugs and being raped. It's thinking about like what was her mental state. Like how the hell did she get through all that? Uh, same with Fred Hampton. Uh, you know, it's not the fact that the FBI killed him. Uh, with the help of Ron O'Neill. It's, it should be also how the fuck did Fred Hampton become Fred Hampton at the age of 21? Like that dude was so effing smart and it, and it boggles my mind and it boggles, it absolutely boggles my mind. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to go back to the super tweets, but I can't go back to the super tweets, I'm not that good. But yeah, it is so fascinating how we see people. And uh, maybe in 200 years, the way... Well, I fucking hope so in 200 years. Uh, people will see, uh, you know, racial conversation, conversations about race um, today in 2021. And we'll just go like, what the fuck were they doing? I really hope I... I, I hope I live to see that kind of revision um, in, in our history. Uh, I, I highly doubt it, but I would, I would like to see that. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll leave it there from the 5th M Podcast Network. I've been Charlie Taylor and this has been What's Good. Intro music has been Too Much by Vanilla. Thanks to Joe Breaker for the ability to use the tracks. You can find both their links in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy Hire for the use of his inter- for interlude music, uh, Charismatic. You can find his uh, website uh, by the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Z. Ladies and gentlemen.